0: All right. It's so good to be back with you guys. Uh, it's been, uh, been, been uh, several weeks. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Allie and I had the opportunity to go to Covington, Georgia. It's just east of Atlanta on I-20. Uh, and uh, got to preach a, a D-Now event, a student um, weekend event. Um, had, uh, had 200 kids. Three churches were a part of it. Uh, had uh, had you know over a dozen kids uh, trust Jesus Christ as Savior and uh, many more. Uh, uh, it's awesome. It's really awesome. Uh, we... Um, had, had the last night, uh, we were focusing on Ephesians chapter six, and we were uh, looking at the, the whole weekend was looking at the armor of God, and so, uh, we began to talk about the shoes and the readiness of the gospel of peace, and, and I began to, to teach a little bit about um, about what it looks like to take everything that you've learned and to put your feet to that and to take the gospel uh, to a, a lost world. We had several kids that night that also committed um, to either full-time vocational ministry or to um, or to missions, to go to taking the gospel out. And so um, it's, it's one of those things, when I was a student pastor, I always envied the guy that got to come in uh, and preach for the weekend. Because he got plenty of sleep, Uh, you know he was, you know, you know he he didn't have to get dirty or messy at the games, you know, the the messy games or whatever. Um, I got to be that guy. It was super cool, and so um, uh, it it was, it was as good as I thought it would have been. So, but, uh, but it's it's good to be back with you. Uh, Let me ask you a question: How many of y'all? There is actually a, a chance because of, 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 you know, the clock that you have in your home that you use most readily. Is there actually a chance you will miss church next week because of spring forward? Like that, that you will be late to church. Like, like I feel like with this, like. <laughs> This is kind of dummy proof. Like I just, I just go to bed and it, and it handles it all for me. I wake up and, and other than the fact that I'm, that I'm, I'm still super tired, like, like I haven't missed anything. And so, uh, so, but if that's you, if you are more of an analog person, make sure to set your clock ahead. You do not want to be late uh, next week. It'd be super awkward because if you walk in for the 1045 service and I know you go to 930, <laughs> I'm going to make fun of you. <laughs> It's just what's gonna happen, okay? So no hard feelings, all right. If you have your copy of God's Word, let's go to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're starting a new series um, this week, and this series is very important, okay? It's, it's important for, for a couple of reasons. Um, one, when you trusted Jesus as Savior, uh, for the believers that are in the room, if you trusted Jesus and when you trusted Jesus as Savior, um, you know, you know he, he, everything was kind of like new, and you were in this honeymoon phase, and, and, and the, the birds were singing, and the blue skies were bluer, and the trees were greener, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you, you, you trusted Jesus, salvation came first, right? And and you basked in that newness. Um, but kind of like a like like a baby that had just been born. You know, your faculties aren't working completely. I got to hold a, a two-week-old baby uh, yesterday, and like I was, Ali said you were a little stiff, and I said I said I did not want to drop her. Um, her parents would not have have liked that, right? But I mean, she was kind of like you know she couldn't see all that well, and 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 she was just sort of like flailing. I mean, it it really wasn't the, the best thing. <laughs> when we're new, I know, when we're new believers, right? Right, and you know, you haven't grown in spiritual discipleship yet, you haven't deepened the roots in your spirituality, your vision can be a little bit skewed. Everything can be, you know, when, when life hits, everything is so loud, it, it can kind of be overwhelming. But the cool thing is, is that as you mature in Christ, when those roots deepen and you become a more mature believer, and I think on, on some level, uh, for those of us that have been Christian, I mean, I've been a Christian for 30 years, okay? And so I think for some of us, we forget what it was like when we first came to know Jesus as Savior and we were kind of overwhelmed with all the newness of the Bible and all of the stuff the Bible teaches and things like that. Um, I think there's a part of, of the established church that just kind of expects you to have it all put together and we forget that when we were new believers too that we didn't have it all put together and we still did dumb stuff and we still, um, uh, we still there were days we just couldn't get it right. We just sort of expect you to figure this life out. But the Christian life can be a little bit blurry at times, can't it? When I was in seventh grade, uh, we, we had... Uh uh, it, I don't know why they, they brought us all in. I think it was like when they do the scoliosis test. You know, they parade you by I don't even know if they do that nowadays. Like, but, but like they made you bend over and then they checked your spine and everything. And then they take you into another room. And they check your eyes and they check your hearing. I guess it's for, you know, they, they do it to everybody. Uh, and so, you know, I, I mean, I'm competitive by nature. And so we go in, I'm like, I have the straightest spine of anybody in this place, I'll tell you. And I went in and I, I got through the scoliosis test. I got through the hearing test, All everything or you they play the little sounds and you have to do left or right, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I got to the vision test. Uh, and when we got to, to that point, they said, read the lowest line you could read. I couldn't read any of them. And I was like, I don't know, E, <laughs> Q, Q maybe. And they go, okay, you're blind. And I was like, <laughs> okay. So they called my parents and, and they took me to get, um, get my eyes checked, and turns out that I was, I, I'm not as blind as my wife, all Right? She is, like, super blind, okay? Um, I'm just, like, a little bit blind, uh, and so, so I wear contacts, and which, my right one's messing up, so if I'm blinking weird today, that's why. Um, I, was, I was blind. Let me tell you something. I go to the doctor's office, and the first time the doctor puts that, you know, the, kind of, like, moves the, the little thing over in front of your head, and starts to, like, click around, then all of a sudden... <laughs> I could read letters. <laughs> it was amazing, and like they're like, you need glasses, and I go, what? <laughs> like, I thought I thought any chance of dating is now gone completely out the window. Okay, like like nobody's going. But th- they did say that you can get. Uh, we make lenses look like Maverick's lenses in Top Gun uh, from his aviators, and I go, I'll take those. <laughs> I could read the board in school. Like, I could see, like, I could see, like, people that were more than 10 feet away. (laughs) Everything just sort of cleared up. You know why? Because for the first time in a long time, everything in my, everything in my field of vision became focused, you don't realize how blurry things are until something is put in front of you to where you put those glasses on to where you can finally see. And that's why we call this series Focused. Because I think for many of us, we're many believers, we are walking around and we live this blurry life and we've gotten so used to it that... That when, when we, we, we deepen our knowledge of Christ and we grow to love Jesus more, all of a sudden the things in our life that have been so blurry for the first time uh, have become clear. And so, this series, and we're gonna start with the scriptures today, all right, because that's the best place to start. This series is about. Uh, spiritual disciplines. We're gonna look at we're gonna look at praying and we're gonna look at fasting, we're gonna look at journaling, we're gonna look at meditation and scripture memory, all of these things. And I think in so many ways our lives we live in a spiritual blurriness that as we grow to love Jesus more, those things become clearer and our discipleship deepens. These are going to be some things that you may have heard and maybe some things you're going to hear for the first time. But all of these disciplines we're going to look at when they're used in tandem will help to focus our lives to see the life that God wants for each of us. So the end game is similar, right? And and it's it's kind of unique at the same time because we're all unique individuals. But mature discipleship for the believer, this side of heaven, mature discipleship is the end game. It's how the Lord brings us to that point of spiritual maturity that is unique. But when our lives are done and the Lord calls us home, the end game is the same for all of us. Because when we get to heaven, right, what a day of rejoicing that'll be, right? Right. That we're going to uh, we're gonna have an eternity of worship of a holy God. We're going to be co-heirs with Christ uh, to our eternal inheritance. And the riches of being a true child of God uninhibited for the first time by the, the devastating effects of sin. Now, before we can dive into the disciplines, we have to look at what the disciplines are grounded in. And that is the living, active Word of God that we, that we use daily for encouragement, for rebuke, for correction, etc. Today's big idea is this, is that the Bible is God's written words. And we're going to dive into exactly what that means because it means something specific. But these, and we have to as believers, we have to ground ourselves in this because if the scriptures are not inspired and inerrant in the original autographs, then they are not trustworthy, as 2 Timothy chapter 3 says. So we as believers, we have to believe that God's words, all of them, all 66 books of the Bible from cover to cover are inspired and inerrant in the original autographs. In the uh, 19th century, there was a group of British sailors. They were uh, on a, a boat uh, called the HMS Bounty. I actually have a photo uh, that should be, should be behind me. Um, a group of sailors seized. The ship. They mutinied. All right, they mutinied on the on the where they were headed. They, they mutinied. They took over the ship, killed the captain, and then fled and went to an island in the South Pacific called Pitcairn. All right, and there they 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 went and they were they were outlaws. They was they they feasted on the treasure that they had uh, and they lived amongst one another and they hid from justice for years and years and years. And they were just on this this desolate island. They just sort of made things work. Uh, and and they but they were and they were such. A, they were they were such this like like community of kind of cutthroat people that before long they couldn't just live together. They wound up um, actually killing one another. They started killing each other, uh, and, and they realized that was probably not going to be the way to, to get to life. They were so depraved in who they were that, that, uh, that it looked like their colony would only last, a, you know, a couple years. They brought their families uh, and, and, and truly tried to make this thing work, but they wound up, the crime was so rampant that they figured the, can, the, the, the colony would be killed off before too long. One of the mutineers, guy, who, the guy's name was Alexander Smith took um, or was going through his trunk one day and in the bottom of the trunk found a copy of the Bible that his mom, you can't make this stuff up, that his mom had put in the trunk before they left. He began to read it. And through that reading tr- became uh, a Christian, trusted Jesus as Savior. He began to, to teach what the scriptures taught to these <laughs> killers, these, these mutineers. And all of a sudden revival began to sweep through the island of Pitcairn. When they were finally discovered uh, some years later, they, they came to realize that there had been a 100% conversion rate on the island. Everybody had trusted Jesus as Savior. There, were, there was no jail because there was no crime. Everybody came to love Jesus. Jesus. And by loving Jesus and reading the scriptures, they, their lives were completely and utterly transformed. They were godly people. Every family transformed by the word of God. Church, that's the power that the Bible holds. It is transformative when it's utilized correctly. Sermon today is going to be a little bit different. There's no points. I generally try to have three points for you, uh, something to kind of make it easy. I just want to have a conversation about the scriptures today. We're going to apply them to our lives. But I want us to look at the end of Paul's life. He's writing to this young uh, elder named Timothy who is at the church at Ephesus. And as <clears> a <throat> matter of fact, the next chapter, Paul is going to write. He's going to say, look, my time, my time here is almost up. So there's some things I need to tell you. So this is at the end of Paul's life. He's about to be martyred for his faith. And this is what he chooses to write to to Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to read verses 14 through 17. He said, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. If you're comfortable underlining something or highlighting that sentence, how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. He says, you are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God. And it's useful, it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and tra- for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be, com- may be complete, equipped for every good work. Self-help books are are really kind of like medicine. So uh, I have a, um, I have a condition. Uh, they call it the king's disease because back in the in the old days, um, kings were really the only people that got to eat meat regularly. And so uh, I eat red meat with a fervor. All right, it's, uh, it's just I love I love a good steak. You can't you can't you know tell me otherwise. All right, um, but I have a condition called gout. All right, and so uh, when I eat too much um, too much red meat uh, or game, and I like you know I like venison too. Um, when I eat too much, what it does, my body is unable to process um, this, um, these, this acid called uric acid. It comes up from purines. Uh, and my, my, my uh, kidney is unable to process um, these, the, this particular type of acid. When the acid stays in your body unprocessed for too long, it, it uh, converts itself into these little crystalline looking razor blades that settle in my joint. Uh, and, and it causes this great deep amount, amount of inflammation. Uh, it's a condition called gout. Um, and for years, I would self-medicate because, you know, I wasn't going to go to the doctor. And uh, because, I mean, they may want to cut my arm off. I wanted none of that. Um, and so I went. And, and so finally I go and they say, you have gout. We want to give you some medication. Before I've been taking this, I've been taking ibuprofen, all right, uh, NSAIDs, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. Uh, and and what that, that, that ibuprofen would do is it would, uh, where the, in the places in my body where there was inflammation, it would uh, it would attack and would lower the inflammation rate. It would really really all it would do it wouldn't really fix the problem my uric acid level was still way too high but but by doing that I was treating the symptoms I was I was addressing the issue so that I could get back out and walk again or I could get back out and use my arm again it reduced inflammation and and all it did was buy me six hours to figure out how I was going to fix it and then in six hours I would take ibuprofen again what the problem is is that with something like ibuprofen, you have to, you, you have to treat, um, you have to make a choice. You're either going to treat the problem or you're going to treat the symptoms. See, self-help books, books that want to convince you that you are the key to your own destiny, they are, they are nothing more than ibuprofen. They are treating the problems that you have in your life. They are they're treating the symptoms of what's in your life. It's not, the, they're not treating the problem scripture is different it shows you the problem in church living in a fallen world everything after Genesis chapter 3 is linked to the fall in the garden it is linked to sin when we read the bible it's not just treating the symptoms that are going to come back and that you have to treat them again it, it works to treat the problem it leads to heart change And the problem in the world that we live in is that we have a rebellious heart and a stubborn will. Look at verses 14 and 15. Of all that Paul could have told Timothy as he led the church at Ephesus, he says, continue in what you have learned. Where did he learn it? He says, the things that you learned from childhood, the things you've been acquainted with from childhood, the sacred writings. He said the scriptures are able to make you wise. Church, the problem in our world today is that too many people are smart and not enough people are wise. They know the truth. They proclaim the truth on Facebook, but they don't follow it. They don't live it. Paul says these scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. How do we know that the sacred writings it's the sacred writings that the Paul is speaking of is what would become, a couple hundred years later, the 66 books of the canon. Let me show you. In the Greek, there are three different words that are used for, for the phrase, the Word of God, or for scriptures. Okay? Um, the first is the Greek word Graphe. It literally refers to the actual ink that's on the page, okay? So if you have your Bible, and it's not like in, in electronic form like I have, if you have the, the, the loose, you know, the olive leaf, you know, binding, uh, hold it up for me. Okay, so understand that when we talk about the graphe, good, thank you, you did so good with that. Um, when we talk about the graphe, right? it's where we when, when somebody writes a biography, it is a graphe, it is a a a work on the page. It's it's letters and, and words that are formed into a book on the page about somebody. Bio graphe, right? So the graphe is the ink that's on the page. So that in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, when he says the the sacred writings, the scriptures. All right, that is the graphe. So he says, you've been, you've been acquainted with these words all your life since you were a child. The other Greek, one of the other Greek words is the Greek word logos, which refers to the meaning of the Bible. John chapter 1 and verse 1, the Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All right, and, and that is a, a, it's a prophetic speaking about uh, the Messiah, about Christ, It is the explanation, it is the understanding, it is the application of the graphe by the hearer. Jesus came and said, I have come not to abolish the law, but to what? To fulfill it, right? Jesus is the application of the graphe. He is the application of the words that are on the page. The third um, word is the word rhema. And it refers, is so cool, it refers to the Word of God as it's illuminated by the Holy Spirit so that it speaks to us individually and personally, giving us individual direction, guidance, and confirmation. That's a, that's a mouthful. But it is literally, when you're sitting, when you're sitting in church... And I've had several of you come up and say this. Uh, you come to me after a sermon. Said, you said, that sermon spoke directly to me. Have you ever just sat in church? This is for the believers in the room. Have you ever sat in church and felt like there was nobody else in the room and the preacher was talking directly to you? The rhema. When the Holy Spirit that is indwelled inside of you begins to well up and apply the graphe to your life. John chapter 6 and verse 63, John said, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. Jesus said, these are the words that I have spoken to you. These words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. The word of God, the scriptures are the rhema. It's not just the words on the page. It is the application to you and your life. You know when God's speaking to you. The verse leaps off the page. I mean, what about when, when you're, you're doing your quiet time and your personal devotion in the morning? The words, there are times, and sometimes it's like, I'm just trying to get through today and get through my reading. I get that. That's life, right? Life comes hard at you sometimes. But sometimes you sit down and you read the scriptures and the, the verse jumps off the page and grips you by the heart. You know that God is convicting and challenging, speaking to you. Almost with this like divine highlighter that's making it jump off the page. That's the rhema. Now, let's talk a little bit about inspiration and inerrancy. Paul tells Timothy, he said, hold fast to what and continue in what you have read from the child, and that is the the sacred writings. We believe that all Scripture, right? All Scripture is God-breathed. Pasa Grafe Theopanustas. When God chose to write his words, he inspired fallible people. Let me tell you, Paul wasn't perfect. All right, Paul held the cloak of the men that stoned uh, one of the first deacons, Stephen. Okay. Paul was not a a, a, he would be matter of fact, he even called himself the chief of sinners. All right. Paul was, was not always a good guy. Moses killed a guy, okay? Wrote the first five books of the Bible. All right, you can go through and look at the prophets. You can look, God chooses, the beauty of, of the scriptures is, is this, is that God wrote a perfectly infallible document in the original languages using fallible people like you and me. If God can use Moses, who God loved him, got it wrong more than he got it right, he can most certainly use us. Dr. James Merritt said that the primary purpose of reading the bible is not to know the bible it's to know god jesus is the logos he is he is what brings the words off the page into life we believe that god inspires have you ever been inspired to do something you know what that feels like when God puts that passion within your heart to do something, and it could be anything, and you, you just can't sleep until you do it, until you, you get it handled. And the best way I could just describe it is it just feels right. There have been times that I've, been, that I've sat in front of a blank computer screen, and I thought, how am I going to write a, a sermon on this scripture? Like, I wrote a sermon uh, one time. That I had a, a church I was preaching in. They asked me to preach on John eleven thirty five. Does anybody know that that's the shortest verse in the Bible? Jesus wept. We'd love to have a sermon on John eleven thirty five, and I go, huh? How am I gonna do forty minutes on two words? And when I sat down, I started reading the scriptures. It was like somebody opened up a fire hydrant right in my face. And Christ flew out. Do you know that every time that I sit down... and Look, this is... I'm a preacher. This is, this is my context. For your context, it may be different. But every time I sit down and I ask God to show me the scriptures and what you want to have communicated. If I'm struggling to write a sermon, it means... It means that God hasn't opened that fire hydrant. But when God does, it's hard for me to keep up. I'm like, slow down God, my fingers hurt. When it gets that way, I find comfort in the fact that when I step up in front of you and I preach, it's not my words, it's God's words. It just feels right. And so, for years, you had all of these people that were writing, whether it was Clement of Rome or Hippo or the uh, Hippocratic, uh, not Hippocratic, the uh, um, you had the uh, the Apostolic Fathers who were writing. You had all of these, you had all of these good writings: Jerome, Clement of Rome, people like that, who were writing these historical documents. And you had councils, whether it was Council of Jerusalem, Council of Nicaea. Uh, you had the the late fourth or the late um, third century. Um, uh, Council of Augustus or uh, Council, you know, the North African Councils, uh, Council of Hippo. And, and they were getting together. and they were trying to find out what of these writings are useful and what of these writings are divinely inspired because it makes a difference. And through their prayer, through their work, God illuminated to them which of, the, of the, all of these historical writings were the ones that were divinely inspired. Now, does that mean that the ones that are, and by the way, what they came up with was with the 66 books that are sitting in your laps. You have some others, the Apocrypha, uh, that, was, that is useful. You have some of the other historical writings that were, that were useful. And there are things that I even use in sermon preps from time to time. But church, God divinely inspired the books that are sitting in your lap this morning. Every word... Is useful. Every word is faithful. Every word is true because it was then divinely inspired by God to be useful for teaching, reproof, or for correction for you. And so, because God inspired, we now know the way to God's heart. He gave us His words that we might have everything that we need. As a matter of fact, verse 17 says that we might be complete equipped for every good work. So let's talk about how the Bible affects our lives when we invite it in. Look at uh, Hebrews chapter 4. The writer says, "...for the word of God is living, and it's active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart." And no creature is hidden from his sight because all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. When Paul was writing his letter to the Ephesians, he he described the scriptures as uh, as the sword of the Spirit. Part of the armor of God. Of all of the parts of the armor of God, the sword of the Spirit is the only offensive weapon. Everything else, whether it's the breastplate of righteousness, whether it is the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace, whether it is the, uh, the belt of truth, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, all of those things are defensive in nature. It's a way, you know, when, you, when we put on the full armor of God, the Bible says we are able to withstand the things that Satan throws at us. But he gave us the sword of the Spirit. And the problem is so much of our lives are spent putting on the whole armor of God and so often, for some reason, we feel like, like the sword is just an addendum. It's just something that is added on. But it is living, and it's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it cuts to the very quick. It separates joint, bone and joints and marrow, and it, it separates all of those things. It is an offensive weapon. It cuts. It exposes sin, and it calls for sin to be rooted out. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, and verse 16. He says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the, of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I want to show you a picture of what Paul's talking about here when he talks about a sword. This is a Roman, this is a first century Roman, what they call a pugio dagger. Uh, there were two types of swords that Roman soldiers carried. One was this big, broad sword. So like when you watch uh, uh, TV shows that have sword fighting, like Three Musketeers, or you watch like, you know, like um, other movies, like, you know, things involving like, like Athens or Rome or whatever, like, like older movies like that. They have these big, broad swords that you can swing. And, and you know, it's a really cool sword fights that you see. Um, that's not what Paul's talking about with the sword of the Spirit. I, I, I kind of thought it would be. Like, I kind of thought that it would be this like huge sword that was like really imposing in nature. And you swing the sword of the Spirit, with, and, and everybody's afraid of it, and nobody attacks you. Well, that's not how the world works. Satan's up in your grill all day long. He's trying to knock you off course. He's trying to, to diminish your capacity to live for Jesus. What Paul was actually talking about was a a Pugio dagger, which was generally, the blade was generally between 6 and 18 inches, and it was carried on the side on the the belt that the Roman soldiers put on. So for close quarters, hand-to-hand combat, where the broadsword wouldn't be effective, the soldier could take out this dagger and could fight in close hand-to-hand combat. Sometimes... It feels like Satan is right up in our faces, doesn't it? When we're riddled with fear or when we're overcome by insecurity or by temptation. Church, that's why God gave us an offensive weapon like the Word of God. I've read the end of Revelation 22, Satan is vanquished and Christ is victorious. When we read the Scriptures, we see that the the believers benefit from the sword of the Spirit. Church, God has a plan for you. It's more beautiful and more grand than you can ever imagine. And it may not be like a materialistic grand, like you may wind up never being a multimillionaire. It may not be this opulent grand where you have this massive house in Queens Harbor. Being known and loved by Christ is more grand than anything this world can offer us. Christ loves you. Christ pursued you. And if you've never trusted Jesus as Savior, Christ is still pursuing you, even today. You can't see it until your life is focused on him though. And so why do we read the scriptures? It's not to know the scriptures. It's to know God. That he might permeate our souls. And so when we look at prayer and fasting and meditation, all these other things we're going to look at, preparing our hearts for the Easter season, it doesn't, Happen unless you are firmly planted in the scriptures. And if you're sitting here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, this is your starting place. I get it. You've tried to do life on your own. You've tried to fix the brokenness of your life on your own. And you keep coming back, and going, man, why did why isn't this working? because whole submission to Christ is the only fix. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that anybody whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In just a moment, I'm gonna pray and we'll be done here. Pastor Matt's going to be back in the next steps area. If you've never trusted Jesus as Savior, please don't get out of here today without at least having a conversation with us. Let us make the case for the hope that we have in Christ. That your life might be focused for the first time. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we honor you. And I thank you for the privilege of knowing you, of being known by you of being loved by you, that you pursued me even in my most broken. Father, I ask that if there's somebody in this room that has never trusted you as Savior and they're wondering why everything around them is so blurry, that they would submit to the will of Christ today and be radically transformed by the power of Christ and of the gospel. God, if there's a believer in this room, who's looking around saying I'm a believer but everything's still blurry Father I pray that you would show them the way to wholeness that they would put on those glasses like I did in 7th grade and realize all the good things I've been missing by not being able to see clearly Father may you glorify yourself today if we pray these things in Jesus name Amen May the Lord bless you and keep you as you go today you are dismissed